Hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Nabil Hajazi, one of the co-founders of PharmaSense. Uh, I'm a clinical pharmacist working in secondary care and community pharmacy. Today's episode is a day in the life of a clinical mental health pharmacist and it's my pleasure to announce our guest speaker today who's none other than Jaspreet Doho, who is the Chief Pharmacist at Moonfield Mount Mental Health Trust and is also a clinical pharmacist that specialises in mental health. I hope today's episode will be beneficial to those who are interested in mental health, whether you're a student, pharmacy professional, or any healthcare professional for that matter. And I hope to explore and address some burning questions we've received across our social media platform. So Jas, thank you again, once again, for taking the time out of your busy schedule for today's episode. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Brilliant. So am I. So I first met you during uh, my pre-registration year, where I was fortunate to obviously rotate through uh, mental health. I've always been uh, inspired by a conversation that we once had. Uh, I'm not too sure if you'll obviously remember that far back, but it's mainly in regards to your roles and progression through the ranks. Yeah. Uh, from qualifying as uh, as a pharmacist to becoming uh, a chief pharmacist. So for the listeners that are listening in, could you just tell us a bit about yourself and your journey as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I uh, did pharmacy at the University of Bradford like many as many of us will have. Um, so I started that um, in 2003. So probably when many of you were still um, very, very young. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so started that in 2003. I did the sandwich course, the five-year course. Um, really enjoyed it, obviously. And I, I kind of, and I don't think pharmacy is one of those things that you always think of when you're, when you're growing up, oh, I want to be a pharmacist. Okay. But um, I always knew I didn't want to do medicine. So this was kind of like, you know, it really appealed to me. Um, so yeah, did the did the degree, uh, qualified in 2008. Um, I'd done a six-month pre-reg in community and six-month pre-reg um, in hospital. Um, and I kind of knew from the beginning that I wanted to do hospital pharmacy. Um, I'd done a, a placement in first year, like a summer placement, and it was actually at Linfield Mount um, um, back in 2004, it must have been. Um, and from that point, I knew I wanted to do hospital pharmacy. I wasn't set on doing mental health, but it was definitely hospital pharmacy for me. So, yeah, qualified in 2008 um, started working at Bradford Teaching Hospitals um, where I was doing the postgraduate diploma in clinical pharmacy. Um, so I was on a two year contract um, kind of rotating through different specialties. Um, so uh, respiratory, um, I did ICU, oncology. Um, and one of the rotations was um, mental health for three months. And at first, I absolutely hated it. I'll be honest. <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't get it having worked in an acute trust um, for, for two years. This was towards the end of the two years. I didn't really get it, it you know, and, and it took a couple of months for it to start to click. Um, and when it did click, I kind of realized that this is definitely what I wanted to do. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I qualified, uh, sorry, I finished my diploma uh, 2010 and I was lucky enough that a, a band seven position came up at Linfield Mount, which I applied for and I got. Um, I did that for about a year, a year and a half. And my uh, boss at the time, a pharmacist called Alistair Tinto, who was the chief pharmacist, um, encouraged me to apply for some new roles that they had, which was um, an AA position. Um in mental health so I would be a kind of senior clinical okay. pharmacist and throughout the, the the first year in mental health I'd done a 
postgraduate certificate in um, psychiatric therapeutics, which is done with the um, Aston University. Okay. Um, which goes into more about like different um, mental health conditions. So we, we did dementia, schizophrenia, um, kind of the affective disorders, so bipolar, depression, um, as well as a lot of background into kind of psychopharmacology. So that's I did that okay. in my first year at Linfield Mount, then kind of progressed up to an AA position um, and did that for, for quite some time um, and did various different wards. Um, so... We, uh, we, we have um, various specialties within mental health. So we've got adult mental health, which is kind of what it says on the tip. Um, so patients from 18 all the way up to kind of older, what we call older peoples. Um, we've got older people psychiatry. So for, for older people, um, CAMS, which is child and adolescent um, psychiatry, um, learning, learning disability, um, uh, as well um and then we've got forensic psychiatry so rotated through kind of different wards throughout that time um okay. became a line manager um which is um an interesting part of the job i'll say <laughs> um and then uh, so yeah i was i was kind of doing that from like 2012 to 2016 and building my skills as a kind of a mental health practitioner um and then in 2016 my my uh my boss as I said, Alistair, um, suddenly became really poorly. Um, he was diagnosed with a brain tumour. And interestingly, it means in within our kind of structure within the team, we didn't have kind of like that middle management. We we, we mm. had our AAs and then we had Alistair, who was the chief pharmacist. So there was no 8B, 8C or, or somebody who could kind of step into his role. And, and obviously he was needing treatment and he he wasn't able to do do his role. Um, so I was asked to act up, um, and at the time it was, um, I didn't really think about it. I kind of just said yes, because I didn't really want to let Alistair down. Hmm. Um, and I didn't want to let the team down because obviously we've just lost our leader. I mean, he, he, yeah. we, at that time we thought, oh, he's going to be away for a bit. He'll get treatment and he'll come back and everything will hmm. be normal again. Um, and so I agreed to the acting up and, and it, it was really hard really really hard but it was um but it was extremely rewarding as well in that I learned so much because I was forced to um yeah and uh, yeah I I kind of I acted up for oh um about a a year and sadly Alistair passed away within that year um from die from his diagnosis and that was hard um he 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 was my inspiration um to becoming a mental health pharmacist he'd uh, he'd uh, developed me into into um a mental health pharmacist and and he'd always kind of been there throughout my journey in mental health so that was really mm. really hard and it was obviously really hard for the rest of the team and they looked to me to kind of provide that leadership and support that they needed um so i'm not gonna lie that was really hard uh losing him um and i guess at the beginning of the year when i I'd said yes to acting up. I was like, oh, I'm just going to be doing this in the short term. I'll just mm -hmm. keep keep the ship afloat until he comes back and everything will go back to normal. And I was like, oh, and mm. or, or if he doesn't come back, somebody else who knows what they're doing will definitely <laughs> take over. Because I honestly, and I will be honest, I didn't feel feel, feel like I know I knew what I was doing. Um, but then he he passed away. Um, and then the the job came out, and I thought about what I'd gone through in the previous year and the things that 
we and the team had done to keep things going and running and that you know yeah. and I I felt actually by the end of that time I that I actually could be a chief pharmacist yeah um and I so I applied um and I was not holding out any hope of getting the job because obviously there were going to be people who were a much older than me and b way more experienced than me i was yeah um when i was asked to act up i was 32 at the time um okay. so it's quite you know relatively i'm uh, not even 10 years into being a pharmacist yeah and i wasn't really you know obviously i prepared really well and i, I did all my research and I, I you know i i asked so many people all their all for their advice but i wasn't really expecting to get it um and, and various other people applied for the job and I ultimately did get it and I was I was really surprised I'll be honest I was like oh no I was like oh no I actually have to do this now <laughs> I can't just I can't just be a pretend chief pharmacist so yeah I, I, I took the the substantive role in 2017 yep no sorry 2018 so I've been a property pharmacist for about two years um so yeah that's 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 kind of my career journey a bit different to some people's yeah. I've kind of skipped a few bits <laughs> um yeah I, I kind of become a chief pharmacist quite early in my career and, and that's mm. been that's been um a definite learning curve I've learned lots of new things um yeah become an expert in things that I've maybe four or five years ago I wouldn't have had a clue about um but yeah it's it's really I find it really re really rewarding yeah. and the thing that's most rewarding for me at the moment is that you know most chief pharmacists I guess um and I'm generalizing they don't do much clinical work day to day on the wards but I I still do because yeah. I feel like I'm not ready to give that up at my stage this stage in my career because it's still quite early for me I feel as a mm. pharmacist to not be doing any clinical work and I I feel like that makes me a better chief pharmacist um I'm at, I mean I don't know how long that will continue but I would I would yeah. hope that I would always have some patient contact no matter how long I'm mm. a, a chief pharmacist for so yeah that's kind of my journey in a nutshell oh brilliant um I think the important thing that you mentioned there as well um in regards to age and experience as well um, I think a lot of people see uh, sort of the progression, whether it's in secondary care, or tertiary, in a tertiary setting, as you've got to go through the ranks in a sense. And obviously, like you've mentioned, you feel you sort of skipped uh, a few stages as well. Yeah. Obviously, because of the, the situation at the time and uh, obviously the conditions as well uh, and the environment where you've had to act up. And I think that's probably the best way to learn as well when you've just been sort of thrown in the deep end. Uh, obviously, it's not yeah. the same for everyone, but... Um, I think some people thrive off that as well. And I think that's exactly what you've done in this situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you'd asked me five years ago, if you told me five years ago that I'd be in the position that I am in now, I would have just laughed and been like, well, I can't do that. I'm not ready for that. I, you know, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> but I think you're right. Absolutely. I think it's when you're thrown in at the deep end, you, that's when you learn the most. And that's definitely true for me. Uh, I had to learn a lot in a very short period yeah. of time and it was hard I'm not gonna lie it was hard um I, I struggled um but I got through it and I I feel like I'm succeeding at what I do and I I, I love what I do um and I you know other than you know if, if if I had to go through it again I'm not I don't think I'd do anything differently other than yeah <laughs> I'd still would very much like Alistair to still be around um 
that's the only that's the only change I would make. Um, yeah. But yeah, sadly not. So yeah, absolutely, I completely agree. Yeah, and the other thing that you've obviously touched up on as well is obviously once you sort of progress up the ranks, you know, following, you know, as soon as you become sort of 8A, 8B, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of the clinical aspect starts to diminish a little and obviously there's more managerial aspect to, to your job role as well. And obviously as a chief pharmacist, um, it's probably more managerial than you'd expect to be clinical. Um, so it's obviously brilliant to hear that you're still uh, quite involved in regards to the sort of clinical aspect of your role as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I had, I've had a lot of people say to me when I became a chief pharmacist, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing clinical work anymore. And I was like, well, where is it written down or where's that rule <laughs> that I can't do clinical work anymore? Um, I've had a, quite a lot of people say that to me and I, uh, I've i never been very good with people telling me what to do. Um, so <laughs> I, so I, I, I kind of just, I make make my own rules um in some ways and I think there's lots of new roles for pharmacists you know you don't have to be you know to progress you don't have to be to be managerial there's you know consultant Mm. pharmacists are becoming much more common and and obviously there will be managerial aspects to their role but they're you know they're they're clinicians clinical leaders um and I feel like I, I am a clinical leader but I I obviously have managerial aspects to my role which I'll be honest um is one of the most challenging things I think about progressing through the ranks is is yeah. how how to be a good a good manager a good leader. Um, there's lots of um, expectations put on you in that regard, and I think mm. that's been the steepest learning curve. Um, but there's lots of things you can do to help yourself with that. Um, yeah. So I, I suggest I would you know if anyone listening who who you know wants to progress in their career I would make it a point to kind of try and speak with people in HR understand policies and procedures what help is out there in terms of managerial you know support um go on leadership courses there's lots of them available within the NHS and and you know through universities um it's important because I think we often forget about that as pharmacists that you know you you become a, a you do, you, you do your band six you do your band seven and then you you apply for an AA and you've not had any kind of exposure to manage managing yeah. managing anyone and it, yeah and at you at one thing that I would definitely change if I could go back to the beginning of my career is ask for exposure to line managing people understand how HR policies and procedures work go on some leadership courses because I didn't do that I was very clinical very focused on that and and you know I I didn't do it and I wish I had but now I I understand the importance so because being honest people will struggle with that if you don't if you don't take the time to understand it and learn it um yeah and understand what your management style is um so yeah that would be one piece of advice I would give people is you know learn about those things early yeah that's some brilliant advice uh early on to the podcast as well um because <laughs> you can obviously relate to that having progressed through uh yeah, through the ranks absolutely. itself absolutely um, so obviously let's let's start off with your day-to-day obviously you've got your roles as a chief pharmacist but you've got mm-hmm. your roles obviously working as a clinical pharmacist as well yeah uh, talk to us about both of them and obviously I, I understand from from obviously from what I remember uh, on placement um, at, at the same trust obviously you were covering the forensics wards as well so talk, talk to us a little bit about that as well and sort of how that differs to other wards. Yeah so um, 
within our trust, we have um, three what we call low secure wards. Um, and they are uh, what we call forensics units. So for, they're for patients who perhaps um, who've, who've committed a, a crime or um, are very risky in terms of their behaviour towards other people. Um, and they're on a locked unit. Um, so they are, um, are there perhaps serving a sentence, um, their sentence out, but they've also got a mental health condition. Okay. So we, we have patients who perhaps, you know, have, have committed crimes that have meant that they should technically be in prison, but because they've got a, a mental health condition that needs treatment, they're in a, a low secure unit. Um, so the, the thing that people, um, I think people struggle with when they rotate through mental health is, is, is what is being exposed to, to people who perhaps, you know, have, have committed crimes and also have um, yeah. kind of a concomitant mental health issue is that they can often be um, scared and, and, and very have a coming with preconceptions about what people are like um, in those units. And what I would just say is that they're just, they're just people like you and me. Um, they've got mental health condition and they've, mm. they've, they have done things, but at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're yeah. human beings and they yeah. need treatment for their mental health condition. Um, and I think I've come across pharmacists who've been very judgmental of people who have, have you know, done things that they're perhaps not so proud of, you know, committed crimes yeah. and done things. But I, I, I kind of say, well, it's almost that thing of, you know, judge not lest ye be judged you know when none of us are perfect and, yeah. and we all make mistakes and at the end of the day as a pharmacist my job is to make sure that everyone has the best care possible from a yeah, from a pharmaceutical point of view regardless of what they've done yeah um and you know i've put some amazing people on there um there's a, a gentleman on there at the moment who who uh, has turned his life around and he's using his time that he's spending on there to support others who are in similar, oh, um, similar kind of situations or have been through the yeah. same things he has. And, and he's doing that through music therapy and um, it's incredible. And he was um, mentioned mm. on our like trust awards that happened last week. Um, and I think, you know, they're, they're just normal people. <laughs> yeah, they um, they've got um, a, a medical condition and they need our support to, to kind yeah. of get better get rehabilitated and back out into the community yeah, definitely. Um, and i think that it's almost like so with our forensics units people are there for a long are generally there for quite a long time it can be months it can be um years we've had people there um and it's a bit like um it's a bit like a, a general practice in some ways because they live there um, and they'll have conditions that, that crop up you know that you might see in a gp practice so you know people we've got hypertension and you know yeah. athlete's foot and so we have to be quite good at um at dealing with things that you might see kind of minor yeah. ailments type of things and there's a, G a gp that comes in and sees them once a week and um, and they, they run a clinic um and there's lots of things going on on those wards in terms of rehabilitation so i've mentioned music therapy there's lots of occupational therapy going on lots and lots of activities to try and rehabilitate people and get them yeah. back out into the community um so yeah i think one of the uh, sort of preconceptions that a lot of people have in regards to obviously mental health is that you've got to be on some form of medication to obviously get you through the condition that, that you're experiencing obviously it's good to hear that there's alternative uh, therapies that you can get involved with and obviously it differs based on patient to patient as well i believe 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, I mean, in any mental health trust, they will have um, psychologists working on the wards and out in community and, and psychological therapies are are just as important, if not more important in some, in some aspects than than medication. Um, There is uh, often an over-reliance on medication because of difficulty in accessing proper psychological therapies. Um, And that's where kind of pharmacy kind of comes in a little bit to kind of promote like good practice around medicines and you know preventing the over medication of people yeah, i i spend definitely. most of my life um doing that you know trying to get medication stopped or reduced to it to a, a level that's going to support somebody to get better yeah definitely. But not yeah exactly and then also to help them engage with psychological therapies because it's it's often we find you know particularly you know with people who are very anxious very depressed they might need a certain level of medication to allow them to engage with psychological therapies and once they yeah. do then we can often reduce their medication i mean i think there's um an, often a misconception that we we like you say we we just give everyone antipsychotics <laughs> um, and that's not true we we there's lots of things mental health is very much focused on someone on holistic care so you know in our in our morning meeting this morning on the ward um you know we were talking about um people's um accommodation you know their their psychological therapies that they were undergoing we talked about medication you know, we talked about safeguarding. So it's a very much a holistic approach. Um, yeah. It's not just about medicating people so that they're not psychotic or depressed. Or, or... Yeah, definitely. You have to look at the patient as a whole. Everything Absolutely. that obviously affects them. It's not just one aspect, is it? Um, yeah. I think that's what we you often tend to forget as well, regardless of what sort of sector, what, what area you're working in. Mm-hmm. You tend to, because obviously as pharmacists, we are quite bogged down with the sort of nitty-gritty in regards to obviously medication um obviously side effects uh, monitoring etc but we don't see what's actually causing the patient to obviously experience certain things or feel in a certain way or you know we don't we don't always necessarily look at it holistically so like even stuff like um diet and lifestyle etc and obviously yeah. the social circles as well absolutely and that's something that i think um we 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 have a as, as a mental health pharmacist we have a much greater appreciation of um yeah. we kind of have to um it, there is no point trying to persuade someone to take medication for a mental illness and we do often have to persuade people who are who are psychotic and often don't have that insight into their mental health condition of trying to encourage them to to kind of um be concordant with their medication yeah but it's about understanding what their feelings are around taking medication and you know I always try and ask people I don't I don't try and say well you need to take lithium one tablet at night for the rest of your life yeah these side effects and this is what you need to do it's about partnership isn't it obviously you've got to as a healthcare professional we can't exactly impose uh medication on a patient Exactly. obviously it's different it's different obviously if the patient's uh under a section etc then obviously that differs but um if it's just if it's just a patient obviously you've got to convince them that obviously this these are the options and ultimately it's their decision end of day if they've got the capacity yeah. um, i think that's the most important thing to take into account and yeah. uh, sometimes you feel that you've got to sort of persuade the patient but in order to persuade them you need to obviously address some of the underlying issues uh, and sort of come to an agreement in a sense 
Yeah, absolutely. It's about understanding their lifestyle and how yeah. medication fits into that, not the other way around. Yeah, um, exactly. I had a conversation with a with a lady um, a few weeks ago who has got bipolar disorder and she's manic, um, and the, she's at the point where um, she's becoming she's menopausal. So we were, we were thinking about Valproate because she'd used that in the yeah. past, good effect, and she was just like, "No, no, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take it." And and you know, nobody had really explored that with her. And I sat down with her and, and we talked about it. And she said, oh, you know, I, I wanted to become a mother and I, I couldn't. And I, yeah. I, um, I was on Valproate and I think it's what caused my miscarriages. Okay. She, wasn't, she wasn't on Valproate when, when her miscarriages happened, but she had that, um, you know, that, that, that belief. And, yeah. um, you know, I talked to her about it and, you know, we tried to try to get her to see it from a different way. And, you know, and it's not about imposing my view on them. It's about, you know, just discussing it and seeing what comes of it. And, yeah, exactly. and she, she, she was really clear that she, she, she was, she felt really strongly about that. And, you know, she still had some aspirations of being a mother, even though she appreciated it would be very difficult. So it's, about understanding that about people and understanding what they've been through to kind of help them move forward if that makes sense yeah, and I think no, exactly. as pharmacists we don't tend to do that it's very we're yeah. very we're scientists aren't we we focus on yeah that, exactly that yeah. the pharmacology and everything but within mental health you, you you very much need that um understanding of, of of someone's life and their lifestyle to be able to help them um, yeah yeah so yeah absolutely no, I totally agree with that um the other question I had in regards to obviously your day-to-day job role was um, obviously we're currently in the sort of COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just talk us through obviously how uh, COVID has sort of affected or even changed the way you your day-to-day is and obviously sort of the pharmacy services that you guys provide. Yeah, I mean, um, so one of the things, that, I mean, obviously it's been extremely hard for all of us, hasn't it? No matter what sector you work in, yeah. um, acute, community, mental health, we've all been affected. Um, I think at the at the beginning, um, we were very much well. Let's what what can we stop doing? What can we stop doing that will will mean that we're less likely to to kind of contract COVID ourselves or to you know stop putting patients at risk as well? And we talked about you know um, having less visits to the wards. Now we don't have electronic prescribing, so I know a lot of places have been able to withdraw slightly from wards because they can do things remotely. Yeah. We don't have that luxury yet. We're just starting our electronic prescribing journey. So we, we have paper charts and at the beginning we, we did withdraw somewhat from the wards and we were we doing kind of daily visits but to the minimum and trying to do as much as we could remotely. And as time went on and you know for the first few weeks we we were doing that and we found that actually we were we we weren't doing our, our patients the, the justice and yeah definitely. Them, yeah we weren't doing them justice and we weren't giving them the service that they needed and i think yeah. being, i think being present a pharmacist or a pharmacy technician being present on the ward gives you more knowledge than any kind of electronic prescribing system or notes will ever give you because you can have those conversations with patients with the staff pick up yeah. problems that you are never going to find looking at the notes yeah definitely a, a definitely. room you know on the other side of the hospital um, something that we all agree with uh, yeah. even at a junior level we've sort yeah. of uh, understood and appreciated uh, the multidisciplinary aspect of obviously working as a pharmacist regardless of what sector you're working in obviously if it's in secondary care you've got obviously you've got the nursing staff obviously they can tell you what's happened overnight 
in regards to the patient because they're, they're constantly around them. There's the medical staff. You know, there's, you can, there's only so many notes that you can read yourself, but obviously experiencing it or speaking to those that have experienced it or have been around the patient, they can tell you something completely different as well. Yeah, and there's absolutely. certain things that you can pick up by just doing that. And again, it's, 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 it's just a learning curve as well. As yeah. a pharmacist, you're continuously learning through your interactions with people and patients alike. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of quickly learned, I completely agree with all that. We we quickly learned that we needed to be present on the ward. Um, and, and that's what we did. We took all the necessary precautions that we were told to, wore PPE, masks, apron, um, visors, all of that. Um, now, we, we didn't, I mean, I think a lot of people who don't work within mental health will have probably thought, well, of mental health, I've had it easy. Well, we definitely haven't. <laughs> um, it's been hard for us and it's difficult for us to kind of isolate patients. We don't have beds in that sense. Yeah. Every patient has their own bedroom, but they're usually moving around the ward freely. Um, yeah. And that's been difficult. So when we've had patients who've tested positive on admission for COVID or tested positive throughout their admission, trying to isolate someone who is acutely psychotic is extremely difficult. Yeah, and the, the, nurse, the nurse and staff have, have, have really struggled with that. And there've been times when you can see um, how stressful it's been for them. Um, and us being on the ward as pharmacists can, you know, supports the ward in other ways. It, it You know, we, we can deal with the problems so they can do their job that they're trying to do to yeah, exactly keep, keep the patients well. We need to remember that we're an essential service. We yeah. need to be on our wards doing the things that we need to do to keep our patients safe and to support the staff to do their job. And I, yeah, think, I think sometimes we, we there is a perception within our own um profession and from other professions that or pharmacy you know they don't need to be there all the time you know actually yeah. we do we've so, had yeah. similar to that as well uh yeah. but obviously we've got electronic prescribing you know during this sort of peak of covid we managed to shy away from the wards yeah uh, but obviously that was felt across you know across the wards as well again obviously we are providing our essential services in regards to obviously medication and providing it safely and yeah. you know effective medication yeah. but there's there's other things on the ward in regards to obviously consultants they wanted to obviously reach out to pharmacy staff obviously for a second yeah. opinion etc yeah. yeah. and you can't really do that you can there's only so many notes that you can write with the electronic prescribing it's, it's completely yeah. different uh being in, there in person yeah. i think that makes a massive difference to obviously like you said like the workload uh in regards to um the ward itself as well honestly there's so many aspects and so many areas where we can actually help out and actually provide our expertise as pharmacists increase that sort of patient satisfaction and patient care overall yeah, yeah completely absolutely agree we have to be on we have to be present where our patients are i don't Definitely. think there's any there's any two ways about it um completely agree so yeah um isolating patients has been very difficult we we have some issues with Patients not understanding the reason for them was needing to, to test for COVID and we've had some patients refuse and then where do we stand um, with those patients? That's been difficult. Um, obviously, um, then if we did have COVID positive patients, which we, we did have some, um, keeping them isolated and, and preventing kind of further outbreaks on the ward has been hard. Um, yeah. our, our dementia unit, we've we had a few patients who, who sadly passed away um, from COVID. 
Um, and that and that was difficult because um, obviously visiting was restricted for families. They weren't able to visit as much as they liked. Um, we did have provisions in place for, for palliative patients, but it still wasn't as it would have been if they died from other reasons. Um, so that, that was hard for, for the dementia unit. Um, and, and there were patients who then had made the decision that, that if they did catch COVID, they didn't want to be transferred down to an acute hospital for kind of more active treatment. Um, so they kind of had those advanced decisions, DNA, CPRs in place. So yeah. ha- having those ha- conversations with patients um, that the nursing staff and doctors were having, that was really hard for them. So it's been difficult. And, and also, as time's gone on, we've had an, um, a massive increase in, in the number of patients who need our help. Um, new presentations, people who've never had mental health problems before coming through um, as a cons- potential consequence of, of, of lockdown and, and being yeah. isolated from, from you know, services that usually would have helped being isolated from family and friends. That's something exactly what I'd, uh, I'm going to want to discuss with you as well in regards to the mental health aspect in regards to COVID. Mm-hmm. But before we, before we move on to that, I'm just going to obviously quickly just touch up on some, some current news as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in regards to Priordel, yeah. um, obviously it's a it is a it's a big issue at the moment. In regards to Priordel, just just give us a sort of brief overview in regards to what Priordel is, what's going on, yeah. um, and sort of the advantages of, of Priordel over other medication and why it's why it's such an issue right now. Yeah, so uh, Priordel is 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 a brand of lithium carbonate. We use lithium for patients who are manic, um, for kind of prophylaxis of bipolar disorder to keep people stable. We use it in recurrent and treatment resistant depression. It's also used in kind of self-harming behavior and very aggressive behaviors as well. Um, it's an extremely effective drug. Um, it's a kind of your first line mood stabilizer for patients who have bipolar disorder. Um, and many patients with, with kind of treatment resistant depression are, are on it as well. And Pridel is the brand that is most commonly used across the UK. Um, 98% of all patients on lithium are on Pridel. And oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's an extremely effective yeah. drug. Um, it's obviously narrow therapeutic um, index drug, um, which you probably all know. Um, which means that um, now that the Pridel's being withdrawn, so the, the company that holds the license has decided to discontinue it for no other reason than for profit. Um, so they hold the license for Priordel and for Camcolit. So Camcolit's the other kind of brand that is used within the UK, but not that many people are on it. Mm. Um, so they hold the license for both of them, and the company have decided that they are going to withdraw um priodel which is um, a certain amount of money i think it's about four pound a box and make it unavailable so people are forced so we are forced to switch people to camcolit which is probably 10 times the price oh wow um so yeah exactly um so um there's estimates that it's probably going to cost the nhs an extra 20 million pounds a year um to, to have people on this more expensive brand um and the issues around switching is that, you know, they have different bioavailabilities, different pharmacokinetics. Yeah. Um, there's some advice that's come out from um, uh, it's kind of the supply disruption notification. And there is some um, advice on there and we will need to do 
pre-switch levels for certain patients who perhaps you know have underlying um, conditions or um, they're a bit old, on the older side a poor switch level um, we'll have to monitor their levels quite quite closely because they, they could be a risk of of toxicity or a risk of relapse um, the the tablet strengths aren't the same. So within Pryadel, we have 200s and 400s. Within um, uh, Camcalate, it's 250 milligrams and 400 milligrams. And they're telling us that you can't have the tablets. So we can have Pryadel tablets. We can't have, apparently can't have um, Camcalate tablets. So for people on much lower doses, so we, we have patients who are on like, you know, even as low as 100 milligrams and they'd be taking half a 200 milligram Priadel, yeah. those patients would, would probably now have to go into liquid. The liquid fortunately is still going to be available. Um, and I guess the, the thing for me about it is that, you know, the, the, the risk of relapse when you stop something like lithium is really significant. People can relapse yeah. really quickly and really, really severely. Um, yeah. I can understand in regards, obviously the, the challenge that practitioners are going to face in regards to this, and even even pharmacists as well, because obviously, if you if you're going to take them off one brand to pop them onto the other brand, you know you're going there's going to be monitoring aspects uh, involved as if you're reinitiating the patient from the start. So, yeah. especially during a, a pandemic that we've got as well, absolutely, um, it's, it's it's just uncalled for, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely uncalled for, and I'm. Um, for those of you on social media and have, have kind of followed the news on this, you'll have seen that um, some of the patient groups, some of the Royal Colleges have got together and written a letter to Matt Hancock um, to yeah. express their concern over the, the action that this drug company has taken for, like I said, no other reason other than profit. There is no, there is no rationale or reason behind it other than that. Um, and, you know, the amount of, um, distress it, it it could cause a lot of patients who are already vulnerable um, at a time like this who already have yeah. you know significant mental health problems um it's just kind of unforgivable for, for me from them you know in terms of the the, the drug company it's it's just unethical um so it is, yeah. it is very frustrating um from, from a from a, a mental health pharmacist point of view it, it's it, it's worrying totally understandable the other thing, obviously, like you mentioned earlier, admissions that you're getting from mm -hmm. patients that you, you didn't necessarily expect, but obviously down to the fact uh, of obviously what's going on around us in regards to the COVID pandemic, in regards to obviously healthcare professionals as well, and even essential workers um, or anyone that's having to work from home or has to self-isolate. Is there any sort of advice that you could give them to obviously stay on top of their mental health? There is a likelihood of a second wave and potentially another lockdown is there any sort of top tips or advice that you could give uh, our listeners that are listening in today just in regards to their mental health i can try <laughs> <laughs> um yeah there's there's lots of things people can do i think one thing to remember is not everything not everybody's um is the same and yeah. what works for one person might not work for the other person so i often i mean I, i'll be honest i struggle with i've struggled with my mental health i've um I have um, anxiety um, yeah. and I've taken medication for it in the past. Um, and, you know, there's lots of things where people say, well, you should do this. You should do mindfulness. You should, you yeah. know, you should, re you should read more. You should um, get out and exercise more. I think it differs uh, from person yeah. to person. 
absolutely and that's the thing is not to look at what other people are doing one size fits all sort of thing yeah, <laughs> definitely not you know i i uh, tried mindfulness and yeah. it's not for me i um i don't have that kind of brain that can that that it works on i don't know um maybe i need to try harder <laughs> i don't know but to <laughs> me mindfulness wasn't the key um so you know for me talking from a personal point of view i i read i do puzzles i think puzzles puzzles for me are the thing that kind of calms me down it gets me relaxed and gets me focused on something that i mm. you know it's, it gives me that focus whereas sometimes when you you know if you're watching tv or you know you just sat sat i don't know doing something you, your mind can start to wander in all sorts yeah. of different directions and i find sometimes i need something to really focus on to kind of get me out of that kind of mindset yeah um so you know it's about what i would suggest for, to people is finding that thing for you what is it that yeah. works for you is it exercise is it you know puzzles is it reading is it you know learning a new hobby um i think one thing is about you know having a routine you know if you're working yeah. from home or you know you're, you're shielding it's about having keeping that routine up you know don't you know start to lie in you know because you can until 12 <laughs> o'clock you know try and keep that routine going yeah um, you know i think that's really important um i think trying to keep active well you know it's not always possible for everyone but trying to keep active is really important um mm. i struggle with that i find it really hard um it's about trying to find what something that motivates you to to do that i think um, it's probably a shock to the system isn't it because you've yeah. gone from obviously having a set routine and then for it to be completely disrupted in a way that you're not familiar with, especially a lot of people and even people that are working in the NHS, there's people that are been able to work from home because obviously technology has been able to permit that. Yeah. But obviously at the same time, it's a shock to the system because you're doing some of your roles, but you're not carrying out the full role. And obviously yeah. there are adjustments that have been made, but again, it's not yeah. the same. Yeah. And because obviously the routine's gone out the window as well. And yeah. And one thing that obviously I appreciate that you've mentioned, obviously your own personal experiences and obviously what seems to work for you. And I I, I totally understand. And I, that's something that I've picked up on myself now as well um, in regards to obviously focusing on one thing. I think obviously yeah. with mindfulness is sort of bringing your mind back to sort of the yeah. sort of physical aspect of your body and obviously how you feel and, you know, the yeah. surroundings and sort of becoming more in touch with that. But obviously, yeah. I, I like what you've mentioned in regards to obviously focus diverting your attention from obviously whatever's causing the anxiety or the stress uh, and then obviously focusing it solely to something else and completely diverting your attention i think that's brilliant i think that's something that obviously a lot of people could probably tap into as well yeah i mean i was having a twitter conversation with someone the other day and they because I I, I I struggle with stress um, in the job that I do. Um, and I, I find it really hard to switch off from work. So I was kind of having this Twitter conversation and, and people coming out with these things like, you need to do something that you requires your full attention. So I, I someone's saying that I like to go climbing because if I if I don't focus on it, I could fall. Um, I found <laughs> that really interesting actually, um, that, you know, that she this person was doing something that required that much attention that they didn't have time to think about anyone else, anything else, which I, I found yeah. really interesting. And I think maybe not climbing, cause I'm not great with heights, but I think <laughs> I'm trying to try and find something similar that, you know, that requires kind of your full focus. So you, your mind yeah. doesn't have time to start thinking about 
you know, oh my God, the, the task list that I've got to do tomorrow. Or... I think in that sense, it's sort of that survival instinct sort of kicks in as well. So it's more sort of, okay, this is my, I've got, a, I've got to sort of be in touch with my environment right now. What's going yeah. on around me? Am I going to fall? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the sort of Absolutely. weather conditions, et cetera. So I think that's, that's a brilliant way to look at it. Yeah. And I think, um, like I said, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Yeah, find, what work, find what works for you. I think the, the other thing I would say is, um, keep in touch with people um yeah i think you well i de- i certainly had that very much you know throughout lockdown you know like oh, I'm, I'm working i've got to focus on this and you know you kind of almost go withdraw from because you you can't go see people you just think oh what's yeah. the point but it's important that we keep connected keep your connections and then maintain those connections your friends family wherever yeah. you know skype whatsapp call all of those things Definitely. and and, and Sometimes I'd be like, oh, no, I can't be bothered to, to call that person tonight. Yeah. But when I did, I felt better. Yeah. Um, so it's about, you know, trying to keep those social connections up. Find what hobby or, or something that works for you. Um, uh, you know, eat well wherever possible. I think a yeah. lot of it. I mean, I, I've turned into a, a massive baker throughout lockdown. That's not been great. So it's about, you know, trying to eat well, um, even yeah. though it can, can feel hard. Um, but the other thing, the most, one of the most important things I would say is that if you are struggling, there are lots of things out there that can help. Um, yeah, definitely. There's lots of things online. Yeah. So in terms of like self-help, there's lots of things online um, that you can, can look to. Um, your local mental health trust will have um, their own website so um, that can support you. So if you're within Bradford, we, we have um, um, a 24-7 crisis helpline that you can ring at any time if you are really struggling yeah. with your mental health. We have um, a, a website called My Wellbeing College that has like health, uh, sort of self-help that you can register for um, and you can talk to people as well. Okay. Um, you've always got your GP. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, and I think, you know, speaking as someone from a South Asian background, we don't talk about mental health. In, definitely, you know, definitely. a massive so, sort of taboo sort of topic yeah, area, isn't it? Absolutely. And we need to change that. We need yeah, to talk definitely. about it. And it might be hard at first, but find definitely. that one person you can confide in if you don't want to tell the yeah. whole world, obviously. But, you know, find that one person you can confide in because guaranteed they'll most people most people would want to help if they knew you yeah. were feeling low or you know and, and so never hesitate to, to get help um yeah i think in regards to um sort of mental health sort of anxiety and depression or feeling low it's sort of the thing where a lot of people are experiencing it to some extent by speaking to the other person you'd be surprised how many other people can actually relate to that as well Oh, yeah, uh, at some point in their life or whether they're experiencing it at the same time and there's obviously there's always advice that they can give you and obviously having that person to sort of confide in as well can sort of lighten the burden as well that you're experiencing so it is a massive thing to sort of reach out to social circles as well and yeah absolutely yeah I think another thing a lot of people have been sort of reluctant uh to sort of speak to their GPs you know in regards to obviously you know with everything going on with the COVID pandemic a lot of people are thinking obviously GPs are shut when, the, when they've obviously just been working from behind closed. It's always worth, obviously, having that conversation with them if you're feeling that, you know, you're at a point where you, you're actually struggling at this point as well. Or even before that, you can always reach out to them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, when I was at my uh, lowest point um, last year with my anxiety, um, and I think I, I was depressed at that point. I, my GP was incredible, absolutely incredible. 
he was um he listened he was supportive yeah he signposted me to the right places and kind of gave me a talking to about how much work how much time I was spending at work and, <laughs> and, and that was you know I think for me stress was a big part of it yeah um and you know just having that conversation with someone was Definitely. just it was just incredible and you know, I, I I had medication for a certain amount of time and, and I started to feel better and I did some things to kind of help my mental health, you know, trying to finish work on time, which is, you know, hard. At the and most that always helps, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think for me specifically, um, work was a big part of, of why I was feeling anxious. Um, but I, I, I'm one of those people that has really high expectations of myself. I'm, I'm yeah. a perfectionist. I don't like not getting things done. So I will, I will work to get that done, but that's not good for me. And I, I've realized that over time. Um, I'm still a workaholic, but I have, <laughs> I have, I feel I understand my triggers and I understand yeah. warning signs better now. Um, and work is always going to be there, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, it will get done no matter what happens. Um, something, you know, you will get it done, whatever it is. And it's about being okay with that. So to all the workaholics out there, I understand, <laughs> but your mental health and your well-being is way more important. I promise. Definitely, definitely. The other thing, obviously, I just want to obviously mention to our listeners: pharmacists generally are probably the most accessible uh, healthcare professionals uh, yes. out there to anyone and everyone. It's always worth if you can't get into speech GP, speak to your pharmacist. There's always someone there. Um, and utilize these services that are available uh, if anything and obviously if, if they can't help they can always signpost you to to other services su- such as those that you've mentioned um and i think that's all, obviously that's the key point obviously you mentioned to to those that are listening in yeah absolutely just uh, just a quick question just in regards obviously the covid pandemic do you think that following the covid pandemic itself do you think we're likely to experience a mental health pandemic as well i think we already are if i'm honest um we in our trust we've got lots of patients sadly in out of area beds because we don't have enough yeah. beds at the moment and that's more so than any time or than any other time in in kind of recent history before the pandemic uh, certainly um and i think you know lockdown isn't good for people's mental health um, yeah it's definitely not i think i think having certain services closed as well um and not accessible to people i think um who've, who've got mental health who may have accessed support groups and um talking groups and things like that and they weren't able to do that throughout lockdown i think that's had an yeah. effect um i think not having our social connections are kind of what makers aren't they you know they yeah they, definitely they, and I think not having, not being able to see people in person is is hard. I think it's part of our identity as well. We've not sort of, we've never experienced uh, any form of sort of social restrictions, and then to have that being imposed, you know, so quickly as well. Absolutely, and I think so. We we've seen um, new people coming into our services, kind of you know older people perhaps who you know don't kind of meet the cr- criteria of you know, a young person who's developing kind of first episode psychosis, kind of older people in their 40s and 50s who've never really had mental health problems before, who've suddenly become very, very unwell. And I think um, it is going to, it is, you know, we, we've definitely seen that. And and it's difficult to kind of predict what, what's going to happen if we yeah. have another, 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 another wave. Um, I think mental health services are, 
you know, we, we are preparing for it. We're doing lots of things. So, for example, in our trust, we've set up um, um, a helpline just for our staff. Um, oh, our psychological brilliant. therapy services have got this um, yeah. helpline for our staff because we recognise that our staff are extreme, you know, extremely vulnerable. Yeah. We've, you know, we've obviously all been working throughout the pandemic trying to help people and and that's that's hard on us as well yeah you need to have health and well-being before you can sort of look to treat other people that have got conditions or you know mental yeah. health issues yeah. you know we need to put ourselves first as healthcare professionals as well yeah you're not used to anyone if you're poorly yourself definitely, so, definitely. Yeah, so we, 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 we we've definitely seen that and there's there's various um reports and and data that have come out showing that um i think nationally there's been there's been a increase in suicides um you know so that that's and whether that's related to to, to the lockdown or not I'm, not I'm not sure but um it, it is a worry um we're definitely also seeing patients who've been very well for a very long time relapsing um which is which is curious um but again you know that that is it you know it's hard to predict what's going to happen next yeah, I think. but we have to pre- we, we have to prepare and and yeah for those things and i think it's important that we get as many services and and we have you know we've been open throughout and but we're doing more things online and but that excludes certain people who can't perhaps use online services yeah so it's about adapting our services to kind of reach the most accessible yeah yeah to be as accessible as possible and i think we are doing that um but yeah i think you know historically mental health services have been underfunded nationally um and i think you know this should be a wake-up call to our government that you know we need to do more for our our nation's mental health yeah Um, definitely yeah this historic underfunding can't go on yeah and same again across the sort of nhs as well like we didn't really need a pandemic to sort of highlight that you can just tell by just generally just looking at the winter pressures and now obviously we've got the flu season uh, yeah. amongst us as well and then set a second wave coming up as well it's it's yeah. going it's going to be a difficult year by the looks of it yeah I, well across the board not just obviously just the nhs there's mental health services and obviously the community services uh, as well absolutely yeah it's hard to know what's going to happen but i guess the first thing i think the first thing we can do is make sure that we look after ourselves as much as possible so yeah. we can, as, as nhs and healthcare workers so we can help others um, yeah that that would be my first first thing um and, and preparing so no matter where you work is is ensuring that there's a plan that you've got a plan for how you're gonna how you're gonna manage thank you for that uh that insight and obviously your own personal experiences as well um that's massively appreciated because uh, obviously i know a lot of people that'll be that'll be listening in will be able to sort of relate to that and to sort of understand from from your perspective as a leader so i've got that influence and a lot of people hopefully listening to that and obviously take note on that as well uh finally obviously before we sort of wrap up um do you have any advice for for students or other healthcare professionals will most likely be listening into this podcast they're wanting a a career in mental health uh do you have any sort of advice for them yeah i mean um first of all they won't regret it whoever they are won't regret it um it's 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 an extremely rewarding career um i think getting to see someone at their, you know, often at their lowest point and helping them get back to all the things that they want to do with their lives is is so so rewarding. And that's one of the, if not the biggest reason that I do what I do, I, 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 I couldn't 
I couldn't do anything else now. Um, I think for, for pharmacy students is, you know, if you are working within, um, so say you're doing your pre-reg, ask about rotating into mental health. I would hope that most acute trusts have a rotation within mental health. Or if you're doing your pre-reg within mental health, then lucky you because you're kind of on yeah. it already. Um, and spread the word. So, you know, if, you, if, you've, if you've done your pre-reg in mental health or you, you've done a rotation in mental health, talk about it. Tell, yeah. tell others, um, you know, we, we, we've had historically um, always had pre-regs rotate through our trust. Yeah. And you're one of them. Yep. Um, and, and it's always been really well received and we've had lots of people um, wanting to work with us because of that and um, look out for work yeah. experience ask if you can do work experience I know it's going to be a bit harder at this point in time but you know going forward and um, ask if there's any summer placements work experience that you can do within mental health um, the other thing I guess if you're in, in community is um, you know if you're working in GP practices doing your pre-reg you know mental health yeah. presentations are one of the most common things you'll see so get exposed to that learn about mental health medications um yeah that that yeah. kind of it's just about asking and getting involved and taking it using taking any opportunities that you can um there's lots of um charity organizations that work you know um, voluntary sector organizations that work with people who've got mental health and I, i'm not sure but there might be um opportunities to work with them as well um as work experience or just to see or volunteer with them and see what they do so I would recommend that as well. Yeah. And, um... I think there's a lot of community sort of outreach sort of projects out there as well that you can sort of tap into as well. And just, just to sort of reiterate yeah, on the point that you said, obviously for, for pre-registration pharmacists that will be listening into this, um, I myself uh, rotated through mental health and I think it was a, it was a real eye-opener because obviously with mental health, um, there's a sort of understanding that it's a condition that's not always apparent as well. So being able to sort of witness that in person, so obviously conditions such as schizophrenia, yeah. uh, depression and bipolar, it sort of makes you understand and actually appreciate, um, appreciate these conditions as well. And obviously knowing that everyone's sort of got their own sort of personal battles and whether it's anxiety or distress, and it's just sort of making more open to understanding uh, and speaking to people as well, just in regards to that. And it was it was a massive help to yeah. me in regards to obviously my my revision um, as a pre-reg as well. I was able to sort of uh, visualize these conditions, and obviously that helped as well in regards to management plans. Massive eye opener, and obviously understanding yeah. uh, certain drugs and monitoring as well, which is brilliant. Um, I'm just going yeah. to to wrap up, uh, if anything. So yeah, Jess, thank you uh, once again for obviously agreeing to be on today's episode. I, for one, obviously found your journey extremely inspirational. And obviously some of the points that we've discussed today, obviously I'm, I'm pretty sure they'd be extremely beneficial to those that are listening in, whether you're a healthcare professional or not. Mental health obviously affects uh, many people and it can vary. And uh, I've personally learned a lot in regards to obviously managing my own mental health as a healthcare professional working in, in the NHS and with everything that's going on around us as well. So yeah, thank you obviously for your own personal experiences as well. Thank you for, for joining us. Thank you, I really enjoyed it. Obviously a massive thank you to all our listeners listening in. We are planning on delivering more podcast episodes so, uh, such as this one uh, where we'll have other specialist pharmacists on our healthcare professionals from different sectors. So if you've got sort of any feedback or any suggestions, uh, please feel free to sort of reach out to one of the team members. Uh, we're accessible uh, across social media platforms and uh, also don't forget to subscribe and follow us on our social media pages uh, where we'll keep you up to date with our latest podcast episodes and projects that we're involved with. 
So yeah, thank you all once again for joining us and see you all on the next episode. Thank you.